1: Hello and welcome to the EDH RETCAST. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he can't see the snow covered forest for the trees, that's Matt Morgan. So Joey, for dinner, I killed a pile of chickpeas.
2: It was really good, but I, I ate so many, you might say it was homicide.
1: <laughs> that was, I, I knew, I I, I swore, I you was just like, know. I feel like don't, I know don't this Don't lie is to going. me, you did not know. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. You called me up. Well done. I Matt. got you. that was a beautiful, beautifully. Ju- oh, I love your dad jokes every episode. It's so silly. Next, he sees a snow covered swamp and sees it as an ice skating opportunity. That's Dana Roach. Um, I've
0: already managed to lose this year my wedding band into a snowbank. So 2021 is kind of off to a 2020 start here. Um, mm. A little bit trepidatious for the rest of the year, but we'll see where it goes. Yeah, let's keep our eyes out. Anyway,
1: this is the EDH Recast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all that data a little more context. Ladies, gents, and everyone in between, we have the honor of being joined by a fantastic guest on this episode. We are joined by Chase Miss Curves. How are you doing, Chase? Thanks for joining us.
3: I'm doing lovely. Thank you for asking I came in very formal with that and sound very much like a news anchor (laughs) but I'm here and I'm excited and not at all scared out of my mind
1: Oh, you, we are just absolutely <laughs> delighted to have you folks may recognize you from being on stream with us on twitch.tv slash and us from being on your stream at Mana Curves as well, where you stream amazing gameplay. It's just awesome to be uh, making content with you. And we're just so glad that you could be on for this episode with us.
3: Yeah, thank you. I'm excited. I love being the barnacle to your guys's content, to your content, <laughs> to your content boat, so to speak. I very much like it. <laughs>
1: Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I wouldn't
2: say you're a barnacle. You're more of a mystic remora.
3: Oh, Oh, I'm Uh, quitting. I'm. Thanks for having me on. It was a (laughs) pleasure. I am done.
1: (laughs) Yep. Oh, that's that's how it always seems to go, Mm -hmm. don't it? Anyway, uh, Chase, let folks know who you are, where they can find your content, what it is that you're up to in the Magic Sphere.
3: Yeah, that's such an existential question. Um, But (laughs) (laughs) um, so, my name is Chase, also known as Manicurves. Uh, You can find me everywhere at Manicurves. I am a Twitch streamer and uh, article writer, predominantly focusing on Commander content. I stream uh, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Sundays uh, at 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and I do, on Wednesdays and Sundays, a uh, Paper Commander streams, and on Tuesdays I do streams about deck building and Commander, and I write an article about that for TCG Player.
1: It's really, really great content. It's just a a joy to be able to experience it, and sometimes to get to participate with you you in it, and basically what I'm trying to do is butter you up right now, because um, we didn't have you on our episodes about the highest mana curves in EDH, and the lowest average mana curves in Mm -hmm. EDH, and basically I'm trying to say that I am sorry.
3: It's perfectly (laughs) fine. Honestly, I wasn't too mad about about it uh, I got a lot of free advertisement out of those two episodes. <laughs> Y'all name dropped me a lot and you didn't even know it. So gotta at love Manicurves. it. Mm-hmm. At Mana
1: Curves. At Mana Curves. It's such a, <laughs> uh, it, it's so, so good. Anyway, we want to get to our main topic. But before we actually get there, we do have a brief thing to do real quick. We have to thank the folks at the Command Zone who help post-produce all of the stuff on this wonderful podcast, making it look as great as it does. So thank you to the Command Zone podcast for all the work you do. And also we want to give a brief thank you to our sponsors for the show too.
0: Yeah, the EDH Recast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player, two of the best places on the interwebs to buy cards for whatever deck you're brewing. From Alpha to Kaldheim and from Colorless to 5-Color, they have anything you might need. Just go to EDH Rec and click on the appropriate vendor link beneath the card of your choice. Doing so supports both the site and the show.
2: And if you would prefer not to support us via cardkingdom.com or TCGplayer, I don't know why you wouldn't, but you can <laughs> also support us directly by going to patreon.com slash EDHRECcast. We have patron tiers of all sorts of things where... We may not have colorless to five colors, but we do have discord channels. So if you want to join our discord community, we do have a tier for that. Or if you'd like to see everything a day early, we have access for that over at patreon.com slash And we even have a level where we acknowledge and give a shout out to a special patron every week. And this week we're going to say thank you so much to Trenton days. We appreciate your patronage and uh, this
1: is your week. So Trenton, good on you. All right, so let's get to our main topic now. Dana, what
0: is it that we're talking about this week? We are going to be talking about EDH endurance versus explosiveness.
1: That we are. The cards that can help sustain you over the course of a long game versus the cards that have like a really, you know, that one big turn where you do something extremely dramatic. But basically, I don't know. We're not talking about like explosive vegetation. Not that kind of explosive. But what what about like expansion
2: explosion? That's that's okay right oh, or yeah. goblin grenade
1: no you guys also explosive you guys are oh my goodness you guys are crazy uh so there's a reason chase that we wanted to have you on the show to discuss this particular topic because um well, well let's get to know you a little bit better tell all the folks what type of decks you tend to play in commander
3: yes yeah, so uh I like to unfor- <laughs> I like to play a lot of mono red decks uh, or decks that have red in them so some of my commanders include, uh, the Locust God, Chandra uh, Tribal with Chandra Fire of Kaladesh, recently built a Rograk in Kedis. Um, and while I know this isn't mono red, uh, Emery Lurker of the Lock has her own explosiveness as well.
1: Very, very much. In games that we've played with you, you have. Caught us completely off guard with the crazy turns that you're able to pull off. It is a thing of beauty to watch someone orchestrate because you know we'll go from like, oh, I think I know what Chase is up to on her side of the board. I don't need to worry about what is happening over there. And you've completely reformatted the entire battlefield in the course of a single turn. And just the the EDH explosions is something that you are just a, an absolute master at. So that's why we wanted to have you on here to talk about this topic.
3: Thank you. I. Was uh, genuinely confused I just woke up and suddenly I was in front of a camera (laughs) this is quite nice I appreciate it
1: All right. Well, real quick, before we talk about the explosiveness part, we do want to also set the stage for the endurance part of the episode. And this kind of is a a callback to episode 131, where we started talking about what I call the cards to use, quote unquote. That's U-S-E, sort of a paradigm of cards that you ought to be using in EDH. So the first one, for example, in U-S-E cards to use was universal cards, you know, cards that work in many scenarios instead of just a specific scenario. That's something that we definitely like to
0: see in EDH. So scale, we're talking about cards where the power level is adjusted for four player 40 life formats versus a two player 20 life format. So anything with like the extort mechanic, for example, would scale nicely because it hits all the players and gains you life for all the damage dealt to all those players.
2: And then the final one is endurance, which is what we're talking about today. So is it something that is going to help set you up and sustain you over the course of five or six more turns, or is it going to be something that only affects this turn and it's more of a a burst of advantage, but then it doesn't really do much for
1: you down the road. And we're going to kind of weigh those around today. Exactly, yeah, because the thing is just EDH games tend to go long, especially compared to other one-on-one formats. You know, modern or something might be like a four-turn maximum between two players, whereas in EDH, the game can be easily go 10, 11, 12, 20 turns. And so you want stuff that's gonna make sure that you don't run out of steam during that. But that said, there are still some pretty crazy explosions that you can set up. These crazy moves, these one big turns that you can pull off too. And that's what we want to talk about and sort of balance there. Before we get to that last part, before we start talking about the big kabooms in Commander that I'm sure that Chase, you are just dying to get to.
3: Oh, I'm very much so. <laughs> let's
1: talk really quick. Let's set the stage for the endurance cards. Matt, what is a type of thing that you would expect for cards that kind of help sustain you? What are some important points that you want to hit about those particular types of cards and their importance in EDH and? why we are attracted to them so much basically for this game.
2: Well, the big thing about commander as a format is it's all about resource accumulation. So endurance cards are getting resources either on the battlefield, in your hand, wherever you want them, basically. So you might think of Cultivate, perhaps, as more of an endurance card instead of Desperate Ritual, which is a red card and certainly gives you mana resources but it only affects that turn, which is why Cultivate is probably considered more of an endurance card. Or if you think of cards like Dana's favorite Knight's Whisper, which are just a nice little draw spell, but then over the course of a game, maybe Phyrexian Arena is a better endurance card because you might gain six, seven, eight cards, who knows, over the course of a game versus just those two that Dana would get off of his Knight's Whisper. And then just any anthem effects, is there going to be a one time pump spell that's going to help you alpha strike? Or is there going to be mm-hmm. something like a tender shoot, dryad, or something that's going to have a little more lasting impact? On the battlefield, And so that's what we're going to kind of talk about is, are they cards that are going to set you up to play more turns? Or are they going to set you up to end the game on that specific turn?
3: So one of my favorite cards, I tend to be more on the explosive side of uh, Commander, which is actually really funny because I feel like this episode is one big call out post to me. Um, <laughs> a lot of the cards I play do not uh, have any of the use in them, and I feel very called out. However, um, I am slowly kind of trying to find new ways to experience games. Play and one of my favorite cards that I feel like really fits uh, this use uh, sort of uh, concept is uh, Lurking Predators, which is one of my favorite green enchantments. Ooh.
1: That's a really, really nasty one. That's the one that whenever opponents cast spells, you can flip the top card, and if it's mm-hmm. a creature, it just goes right into play. Yeah, exactly. Over the course of several turns, that's so much value.
3: It really is. And I really like the card because it it's I, I actually didn't know it was a May ability, but the when you reveal it, if it's not a creature card, you don't necessarily have to put it on the bottom of your library. So if you wanted to keep it there, if you found that it was like, say, like an Aetherflux Reservoir or um, you know, a sorts to Plowshares shares and you really need that that next turn, you can just leave it on top. I mean, guaranteed people are gonna cast spells and you're gonna reveal the same spell over and over again. But it's a good way to kind of get a peek at what you're going to uh, figure out what you're gonna do with your next turn.
1: I love that in an example of a card that provides you with a lot of, uh, you know, staying power like Lurking Predators, you couldn't help but mention a card that has a huge explosive potential like Aetherflux was Yeah,
3: for. I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. I was like, <laughs> is it is it funny that in my mind I thought that was an endurance card? Because <laughs> I was like, you gain life off of it, so no, you don't.
1: you domed someone probably Joey for 50 with it. Oh, I no. I mean, we, maybe. Like, with that said, like, uh, Dana, the choice between something like like a Knight's Whisper versus a Phyrexian Arena is probably one that's really interesting to you because the quick burst of cards there compared to getting cards over several turns, but it takes a while to actually get there, that's a really interesting dynamic to try and thread that needle in EDH basically, to try and judge how many turns you get.
0: Yeah, and I don't think there's a hard and fast rule for for when one is maybe better than the other either. I think a lot of it depends on your personal playstyle, a lot of it depends on your deck, a lot of it depends on how you play that certain deck. So, uh, you know, it's. I've heard that conversation before about how Phyrexian Arena has kind of gotten too slow for the game. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I think the game has definitely evolved to the point where Phyrexian Arena isn't an auto-occlude in any black deck like maybe it was, you know, four or five years ago. It's something right now you need to be aware of just whether, whether your deck needs the endurance or the explosiveness and how it's going to handle gameplay over the course of multiple turns and whether you can get that value out of those those three mana and having to wait a full turn to draw that first card.
1: Yeah. And I think an important point there, too, is that the card advantage that that provides, even if you just have the quick boost, like a Knight's Whisper, for example, even if you're just getting a quick boost, the cards in your hand is still an extra thing that can sustain you over the game, even if that's a thing that isn't a quick burst compared to a ritual effect which just provides you like three mana on a single turn. That's not the kind of thing that you can play next turn like you could a card in your hand. So even then, there's kind of a, a conversation happening between the cards in your hand aspect of those particular examples. But those one time effects are not necessarily as as common in games of EDH. In fact, I would argue that the majority of uh, the stuff that we see, a lot of the data really supports that endurance, these longevity based cards, is one of the ways that EDH players really like to align themselves. The most popular commanders in the game are really endurance based. Muldrotha, for example, lets you get a lot of value by recasting cards from the graveyard over several turns. Atraxa proliferates at the beginning of each end step. To get the max value out of that, you want to have a lot of end steps. They are commanders that provide such great value over the course of a long time, but they don't necessarily do a whole bunch the first turn that they drop.
3: I think it should also be noted that I just had this really cool intelligent thought that I think I should share with you <laughs> is that there are some cards that wouldn't I would not necessarily count as endurance cards but if you pair them with other cards they become endurance cards um, a really good example is like the dramatic reversal isochron scepter combo uh, by mm-hmm. itself it doesn't really seem like it's gonna be worth the payoff you know you just untap untap your stuff your non lands and then that's really it but when you pair it with that isochron scepter and you have the right pieces out you have a really good um, longevity going on your board site if you have just enough mana rocks to continue doing it you're going to have something really consistent and really strong and really powerful and explosive I combine the worlds I'm good at magic that is my contribution to this conversation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I, I love it. There's, that's a great example of stuff that can thread the line and do both of those things at once. That can be a great way to get a boost on future turns, and it can be the thing that you do to set up an infinite mana combo on the same turn, mm-hmm. but that can functionally be the same thing for the purposes that you need it for. So I really, really definitely like that. I think I also just kind of want to touch on some other points that make Endurance so important in EDH because, you know, the games go long, you don't want to run out of steam. So that's kind of why you'll hear that mantra of ramp and card draw is like such an important factor of an EDH game—it's because those are two very basic, you know, manifestations of endurance-based
0: cards. But they're not the only ones, you know. They're the main—they're the main ones you hear people talk about. Though um, the comment I've made in the past is nobody has ever walked away from an EDH pod and said. I would have won that game if I wouldn't have had so many lands in play and so many cards <laughs> in my hand. Like, that's never, ever happened. You, you
2: haven't played against my AC deck then, because I definitely have said that a couple times.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, man. Speaking of it, uh, but with that said, like, you know, a, a tender shoot Dryad, for example, that creates a token on every single turn, even if you're not drawing a bunch of cards, over the course of four rounds or whatever, you will end up with so many tokens that you don't even know what to do with. Mm-hmm. That is also an expression of endurance that will keep you, like, doing a bunch of stuff in that game as long as you're playing things wisely and that Tendershoot Dryad stays around for a long time. Like, that's another expression of ways to, you know, keep yourself with staying power in the game, for mm-hmm. sure. Another important point about this endurance thing, too, is that, you know EDH is a last one standing game so endurance isn't just about like you know oh it's a long game it's also just about staying alive like fogs for example you want to use stuff that prevents combat damage to prevent people like Matt and like Chase from killing you on the big turns that they have because that's a frequent thing that they try to do to me and and, and I like fogs to stop them so
3: that was just hateful what she said I take that as a personal <laughs> attack of my character and um, if,
0: you're, if you're playing constant <laughs> mists It can be an endurance fog that's around every turn. Exactly.
3: Name-dropping one of my favorite fogs, Darkness. Best fog ever printed. Love it so much. It is a black fog. No one ever expects it at all. (laughs) And playing it and watching the jaws drop. Ah, oh, phenomenal! Love it. <laughs> it's probably my favorite thing to do.
2: Well, and and since people don't really expect that either, like you said, it's it's coming out of a mono black deck sometimes, or just any black deck. Mm-hmm. It's going to have such a huge effect, which is something that a lot of times in endurance with these one shot effects, you need something to be super impactful. If it's only happening once, you need that mm-hmm. darkness to to fog maybe. 30 damage and keep you alive instead of just doing five or six, maybe. Oh, exactly. A much more manageable chunk. Or you need that swords to plowshares, for example, to kill something that's going to kill you immediately instead Mm -hmm. of just killing their value creature. You need these one-time effects versus repeatable effects to have a huge... You know impact on the game right away
3: I think it for me I I tend to go for much more long-term effects than I would one-time effects I know that's 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 not what you would think given given the uh you know um the aura of energy that these lovely individuals here have <laughs> presented upon you um however for me I feel very weird running one kind of card so for instance uh, if you want me to run counter spells I need to run at least one four or more to feel comfortable running counter spells. Otherwise, it just feels like it kind of throws things off. Same thing for, like, fogs. Like, my phage deck is just, a you know, a a random error example just because I think it's funny to run an off-color fog in a deck that you wouldn't expect it. Um, So, like, at one point does... um, That explosiveness kind of lead into endurance, you know, having one time effects, but having those one time effects consistently is something that I also think is very interesting as well.
1: Well, and a lot of it too comes down to the way that you time it too. Like Matt just mentioned with sandbagging those removal spells or something like that, timing them just right to play against opponent expectations, that can cause a huge blowout on the table too, as long as you have timed it well. And that goes for the big blowouts themselves, the big turns where someone is, you know, storming off for a whole bunch of damage or they're attacking for 358,000 damage or something like that. Like the thing that's tricky about all of those cases is that they are actually a little bit difficult to time because you do have to like collect all of the right cards and get into a certain board state to really you know pull that trigger but more than that you are putting your neck out there kind of you're putting your stuff on the line you are taking a risk when you take such a dramatic action And an endurance card can kind of, like, keep you safe, keep you turtled up. You don't need to necessarily risk a whole bunch of stuff like that compared to, like, you know, sticking your neck out there and maybe risking failing on that point. That's another thing that, like, in a last one standing format like this, that can be a pretty valuable asset, too, compared to, you know, making a big thing, declaring yourself as, like, the big target. You're the person who's doing the most. That can also be a lot of risk that not everyone is necessarily comfortable to do until the exact right moment, and timing that is so important. Well, and
2: timing it, too, you, you can put a big target on your back by having one explosive turn even though you may not be able to do anything for you know a few more turns i know on our stream at twitch.tv slash edh Retcast, one of us or, or a guest maybe has had this big explosive turn but then not been able to follow it up but they're still the target you know they, or they're still the target at the table because they had this one explosive turn and it got all the attention turned to them that's something i see and happen commander games all the time as one person does one thing that's big and it's not going to do anything beyond the, the current turn, but they're still the target afterwards.
3: I don't know what you guys are talking about. I win every single <laughs> time. So I, <laughs> I, I literally was like, uh, <laughs> I feel very targeted. Um, but it's just it's interesting for me how uh, well, actually, I have a question for you guys that I would like to pose for you. Uh, when I think endurance, I think green. I think card draw, a lot of protection stuff, um, enchantment removal, the things that you really need in magic, you need card advantage. Um, But yet, when I also think of endurance, I think consistency, that's one of the things that kind of keeps popping up for me. And this might speak to my red player nature, but would you consider Valakut to be... um, an endurance card. If you're playing in like a mono red deck, that is going to be consistent damage. You know, when eventually you, you read that threshold, um, and a lot of cards sometimes you do need to meet a certain threshold uh, to get there. But after a while, it does become consistent, repeatable damage.
1: Matt, as a resident landfaller, I feel like you're the best qualified to to make a judgment there.
2: I mean, I do think Valcut is a payoff card for an endurance game. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's specifically an endurance card uh-huh. because you need the endurance for it to be good. Um, I, I reject think it, that answer. It, it definitely, like I said, it definitely falls into the payoff category where <laughs> yeah. if you have a game that requires a lot of endurance, it does certainly help you get there, and it it can do a lot of damage. You are one hundred percent right, and uh, <laughs> I won't argue against anybody using it unless it's against
0: me.
3: Yes.
1: Unless it's against you. Oh, I see. I see. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the one thing I'd say about Velikut is, I think it can go both ways, though, because I think if you're playing one of those mono-red decks, it's running a bunch of, like, mana doublers or something, so you just accidentally happen to have, you know, 29 basics in the deck, um, you can probably just run Velikut in the deck anyway with no intention of doing anything at all other than, hey, I top-decked it on turn 7, and now every mountain I play is a lightning bolt, and that that's just, like a bonus amount of damage Mm -hmm. that's going to occasionally remove a troublesome creature with almost no downside for you. So I think, Mm -hmm. again, it depends on the deck. In one deck, it's going to be explosive if you're going to be doing something to bring a bunch of lands into play at once. And in one deck, it's just going to be accidental damage that doesn't really require you to invest anything in it at all and generates value like an endurance card.
1: Yeah, Field of the Dead is another probably good analogy here too because that's a land that can also create a bunch of zombies for you and you can orchestrate for that to be a huge thing with like a scape Shift, for example, dumping a bunch of lanes into play and then making a huge amount of zombies and then helping that, you know, carry that to the rest of the game for you. But it can also just be a thing that produces a bunch of zombies for you if you want it to. Like there are definitely cards that really ride that line very nicely. If you want them to, you can sort of manipulate and those cards, I would argue, are even better because of it and the cards that can ride the line between t- those two things is just like, ah. It's it's chef's kiss when you can find a card that does both of those things so well.
3: So typically what I tend to think about when thinking about endurance are simic colors. You know, green and blue are just really strong and powerful colors that are incredibly consistent in Commander. You have cards that give you ramp. You have cards that give you card draw. Two cards that actually come to mind are both enchantments. Um, Guardian Project is one that I think is a wonderful and consistent form of green card draw. Um, you know, a non-token creature enters the battlefield. If it doesn't have the same name as another creature, you draw a card, which is just a really good card. Um, I run that personally in my M.E.L. Blink deck, and that's a good way to get consistent card draw just by flickering stuff. Um, and then you have rustic Study, uh, the most annoying blue enchantment ever, <laughs> paying the one. Um, I mean, uh, even in, in white, you have Smothering Tithe, which is good, consistent ramp. Well, ramp, I should say. Um, it's good ways to generate mana in a color that really needs it. White needs a lot of the help that it can get. So having that in there is a really good way to kind of utilize that endurance.
2: Right. See, Chase, you're, you're just naming all these cards that the last mm-hmm. time we played together, which was over on Olivia Gobert Hicks' stream, you played against <laughs> me, and <laughs> I didn't feel like I stood a chance.
3: You didn't. You didn't. I didn't. I didn't.
2: <laughs> All I think th- I like think the other three won. players, we tried to team up on you, and it still did not matter.
3: Oh, I think I still won. I, that sounds yes. so horrible to me, but I did. Uh, you can, fun fact, lovely listeners and viewers, you can still be explosive in Selesnia. You just have to have a mono red mindset and then suddenly the world's your oyster. <laughs> the world is your fire oyster.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm really surprised that Chase hasn't like gone into Matt's bit of like randomly plugging, you know, streams and stuff like that. Chase is gonna counter with her own twitch.tv slash mana curves that you can find her on. But no, Chase, you bring up a really great point mm-hmm. there too, of just like we have these maybe boxes that we'll put all of the traditional expectations of gameplay into, but there are also totally ways that you can take this too far by applying the wrong attitude to them. Mm-hmm. If if you focus too much on, you know, I need to make sure that I have card draw, for example, and you run a bunch of Mentor of the Meek effects, for example, or Mind's Eye effects, for example, like they do prioritize card advantage over the course of a long game. But there are decks that don't want those because there's just not enough to actually make it a truly sustainable thing. And if you go in with the wrong attitude and you try to play Red like it's Simic or you try to play Boros like it's Simic, you could really miss out on great opportunities to cause huge amounts of damage to your opponent and really the game. You just need that right attitude. And that is what we want to get to in our second part of the show. But you know what we're going to do before we get to that second part of the show, before we start talking about all of the kabam, the kablooies? We're going to challenge some stats, y'all, because it is one of our favorite segments here on the show. There's a lot of data on Idiotrek, but, you know, we don't always agree with it. Sometimes I think that cards see too much play. Sometimes I think that cards see too little play. So what we like to do is challenge those stats. Dana, how about you start us off this week? What is your challenge?
0: Uh, My challenge is for a legendary creature, Sashi, daughter of Sashiro. She's uh, two green green and says other snakes you control get zero plus zero plus one um, That's really not what's important here. What's important here is she also says shaman you control have tap and add green green to your mana pool And she herself is a snake shaman um, Why this is relevant and why it's underplayed it only gets played in 72 decks currently and There are about 30 Legendary Shaman in the game that can play this card, many of whom could really take a lot of advantage of it. For example, it's only in one of the new Archelos Lagoon Mystic decks. Um, That's the commander that, if tapped, all creatures your opponents control enter the battlefield tapped. And what better way to tap that commander than to tap it for two green mana to use to do something else? So Sashi coming into play basically is giving you access to your commander as well as Sashi tapping for a total of four mana, and you have a commander right there that when you tap it for mana, it's giving you an effect. There's commanders like Averna, the Chaos Bloom, that really doesn't attack. There's commanders like Kolfenor, the Last of you, that has a Vigilance, so you can use it on your second main phase to generate mana. It's just a really good mana generator that interfaces really nicely with a bunch of legendary commanders, and it sees almost no play, um, probably in part because it's from way back in the, the Kamigawa block, but it definitely should be in more than just 72 decks. So,
1: Chase, you may have noticed that Dana likes to pick these weird out there cards <laughs> that almost no one's ever heard of. He likes to be as hipster as possible with his challenges, which is him. really wonderful. This, um, this is but.
2: a very Dana pick, like some random card that has very narrow, but very powerful. Like if you find the right interactions mm-hmm. for Dana's challenge
1: stats, they are insanely good. But you
2: just yeah. have to like be born. Our, our
0: channels, kid. I think, would be fantastic for this commander for sure.
1: Yeah. Love that challenge. I'm just saying we try to out Dana Dana sometimes. We gotta try it. Because I
3: actually own both of those cards, so I'm gonna do something way cooler than Dana could ever do with it and I'll get back to you guys. (laughs) Sick Dana burn. Speaking of Dana, I have a card just as old as him. It's Kelden Twilight. (laughs) Well no. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Do go on! Oh my god! <laughs> yes,
3: so I'm i really a nice person, you guys. I just love... I love the folks of the Edystrix because... <laughs> I even I love these guys, so I just like to be weird. I love them. But my card is actually Kelden Twilight, which actually is way more hipster than Data's card because it is currently in 112 decks. Um, it is Kelton Twilight. It is a Rakdos enchantment. It's a one and black and red. And it says at the be- end of each player's turn, if no creatures attacked that turn, that player sacks a creature he or she controlled since the beginning of the turn. So the wording on that card is very weird, but I really like this card because there are, Let's be honest, there are moments in games of Commander where people have a really good board state, but they are too scared to make moves. Um, some people might be too afraid to, you know, go to combat, and you, they're just kind of holding back and you're kind of in this weird sort of stalemate space in a game. And I recently ran Kelden Twilight in my uh, Negan the Cold-Blooded deck, which works on multiple levels. I get a sack, so I get a treasure. But I really like it because it forces people to go, I don't want to lose something of mine on the board, I need to make a hit. Because if you only have two creatures on the board, that's gonna really be bad for you if you don't start making you know, making plays and making consistent attacks.
0: Well Chase, you have perhaps successfully out hipstered me and you've <laughs> Almost looked as good as me doing it.
3: Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh my
0: good, Matt. I thought that
1: we had a friendly rivalry going on, but I, I, I think there's there's a new one where Chase is out <laughs> Dana in Dana, and oh, I'm I just need a bowl of popcorn watching this. That's absolutely. Great. I'm
2: surprised that Dana didn't say how he like opened this for like in a booster pack on his 40th birthday.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. All right, I'm gonna move. I'm gonna move to my challenge now. I'm specifically looking at the Commander Philat the world sculptor, which I feel is a little bit overlooked as a landfall commander, but also who can blame you? There are so many landfall commanders out there in these colors, but this is a really fascinating one. This is the commander that makes a bunch of plants for each of your basic lands when it enters the battlefield. And then whenever you landfall, you can put four plus one plus one counters onto one of those plants. I actually just sort of like on a whim built this commander and I've really, really been enjoying it because it creates such a huge board state when it comes out. The thing is though, people don't usually, um, they don't like to let you keep all of those things. They tend to get rid of Philath a whole lot because that board state is really, really crazy. And a thing that I noticed in the course of a game, you know, having to cast and recast Philath is that any non basic lands that I've got in that deck, they've really got to be worth it. If I'm playing something like a Colony Garden, for example, that's actually kind of a knock against Philath. Colony Garden's that tapped land that enters and makes a plant too, but that's one plant compared to Philath could be making way more plants over the course of way more turns since I'm inevitably going to have to cast more and more and more often. A bunch of non-basics like Colony Garden will show up in the deck around the 13 to like 15 to like 20 to 30% uh, popularity rank and so this is just my way of encouraging folks to really be hypercritical about the non-basic lanes that you play in a Philath deck because you almost don't want any of them at all. Just a few very, very, very rare ones. Every non-basic lane that you play is a knock against phylaft's ability and you want more plants basically so i just want to throw that one out there that's my challenge this is a way to sort of prioritize that endurance so that you can get more plants over a long period of time because that's inevitably going to be what happens
2: yeah I, I found that same problem with something like uh my perilous forays that i have in my omnath locus of rage deck where i want to be mm-hmm. getting all my basics out of my library for a very explosive turn which we'll talk about here soon i'm sure but yeah the more basics or at least just basic land types uh, the better in that deck and you know taking it a step further for phylath where you just want pure basics it totally makes sense
1: yeah all right matt hit us with your challenge let's round it out
2: so my challenge this week is a card called drown in the lock it was not so recently released in Throne of Eldraine, but it's it. just an instant for a blue and a black, and it just says choose one, and you can count either counter target spell or destroy target creature as long as those targets have a converted mana cost with, um, that is less or equal to the number of cards in, that pl- in the controller's graveyard. So I'm specifically challenging this in Phoenix uh, God of Deception decks where it's only showing up in 33% and actually it's only showing up in 41% of mill decks. I feel like a lot of players see this card and they think, well, it, they have to have a bigger graveyard than the spell they're casting. But in a typical EDH game, I can't think of any other time on stream at twitch.tv slash where somebody didn't have at least <laughs> 10 cards in their graveyard, whether by playing ramp spells, fetch lands, whatever was going on, cards are going into players' graveyards. If you're playing Mill, for example, I don't think there's ever going to be a time outside of turn 3, maybe, where Drown in the Lock isn't going to be just a destroy target creature or counter target spell type of Card, uh, we love modal spells here on the podcast, and this is another one. It's you want to you know you, there's a big threat on the battlefield, you can kill it, or if there's a big spell that's coming down, you can counter it with the same card. I think it's kind of those one of those feed the swarm type of cards where it's just generally going to be a very useful and very powerful spell that's always going to be useful no matter what the situation is.
3: I definitely think that this card might be overlooked because, at least I know this for a fact, when a card is really popular in standard, I mm-hmm. don't see it extending to another format as smoothly, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I, d- I view, I definitely, because I, fun fact, Chase over here tried to play standard once. <sighs> Obviously, I'm not a standard content creator. Uh, not, not very good at it. If you're a standard content creator, I respect y'all so much. The The rotation is like whirlwind to me. Um, but I tried to play um, a mill deck in an event and Drawn in the Lock was just amazing. It did so mm-hmm. much. It, it had a lot of versatility. And that's what you really want in a spell like that is that versatility. Uh, I don't think, you know, having a counter spell is a bad thing, nor having a destroy creature spell is a bad thing. And odds are, even in games of commander, even if you're not you know, milling people consistently like you would want to with Drown in the Lock, people are still going to cast board wipes. People are still going to, you know, yep. wheel. That's a really yep. good way to get there.
2: Yeah, there's just very rarely is there going to be a time unless you happen to bog Joey and then you try to Drown in <laughs> the Lock him the very next turn. Like, mm. sure, you might come into a dead situation there. But like, more often than not, in this format specifically, Drown in the Lock is just going to be a hard counterspell or a Doom Blade. Mm. Like, that's just... That's how versatile the card is. I do agree with you, Chase, that, like, I think standard players kind of gobbled these up. Um, it's only played in about 8,600 decks, but it is a $3 uncommon, which is kind mm-hmm. of hard for, you know, people to swallow when you're looking at yeah. well this card was just printed a year ago. And it's already $3, $4. So I think that had a big, big effect on it, too. So I do agree with that.
3: Yeah, uh- I-
1: now, now I'm the one who feels personally attacked. I'm not getting over that bajuca bog remark anytime <laughs> you soon. Said
2: we had our rivalry, so I just wanted to remind you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I also want to remind you that you wrote that into your preview card script too, so it is cemented forever in that <laughs> script did. as being something that will happen to you. And uh, if you die in the game, you die in real life. So. <laughs> oh my God.
1: All right. Well, <laughs> now that we've covered challenges, that of and we've explosions, huh? <laughs> yeah. Now that we've talked about that, and we've talked about some of the really appealing parts about what makes endurance so important to a game of EDH. Let's talk about some of the explosive cards in EDH. Dana, what would you say is something that makes something, you know, a kaboom in EDH? What makes it truly
0: the big turn for you? Would you say? Um, I myself, what I'm generally thinking of is that big huge burst of mana from something like high tide that lets you do all of the things that turn that you normally wouldn't be able to do in in like one single play Right. So high tide is
1: a one mana blue spell that doubles your island's mana production for a single turn. And, you know, that would compare to like the endurance, quote unquote, version of that effect would probably be like a caged sun where it also will, you know, produce extra mana from your blue stuff. But that can do it over more turns. High tide doesn't see nearly as much play compared, but there are definitely turns where you can, you know, take advantage of how cheap that card is to set up for that big play.
0: Yeah, and there's a there's a lot of... And that's the one that popped into mind because it's kind of a, a legacy played card that gets used for those big explosive turns. But there's a bunch of different variables on that. And I just, for me, I think of... That that big burst of mana that's going to let you suddenly do things that no one thought you could do that turn. Looking at your board (laughs) state, they didn't think you could suddenly be able to cast, you know, 12 spells this turn. And now you can because of that high tide or that bubbling muck or whatever the card it is that suddenly just has given you that giant burst. Right. For me, I
1: think it's like that thing that it irrevocably changes the state of the game after that point. It forces your enemies to change their plans or possibly just makes them stop existing at all. And this is important because you can't value enemies to death. You can't draw cards until your opponents die. I mean, like there are probably some decks that will actually be able to pull that off. But like generally speaking, a Brago player is going to be slow to close a game out if it doesn't have an explosion planned and chase this is really where we want to give the uh the floor to you because i recall you doing some amazing things in your chandra deck especially but also just in all of your decks really where you just completely reformat (laughs) the entire battlefield in the course of a single turn
3: Yes, I love explosive plays. I love explosive plays so much. If I can get one huge explosive play out in a game, I'm happy. Even if I lose, I just am there to create chaos, and I love it. It's (laughs) very fun for me as a player. Um, I really want to emphasize here, uh, like in this conversation, that just because uh, we're talking about explosive plays does not necessarily mean that we have to limit it to mono red. So many explosive spells exist in many different colors. My favorite just happens to be red. Um, And particularly my Chandra deck, my favorite thing to do is to ultimate my Chandra, but I like to copy that ultimate with cards like Repeated Reverberation, Chandra's Regulator, um, and then maybe even copy the Repeated Reverberation with a uh, Pyromancer's Goggles, I believe. (laughs) So I am a very chaotic person (laughs) by nature.
1: If, if So if I'm a listener right now, I'm probably listening to you list off all those things and I'm like, oh, that sounds like magical Christmas land. How realistic is it for you to actually get all of those pieces maneuvering so that you can ultimate the Chandra and get that many copies? That seems like way outlandish. No, listeners. Every single go game. Go look. Every it, single
3: game. It, it, right, <laughs> right. It is
1: astonishing. Check out Chase's stream. Her VOD's on Twitch.tv at Manicurves slash Manicurves. Mm-hmm. That. And she's also been on our stream too. Chase, you are so good at, orchestrating those moves, it is impressive and terrifying because we'll end up with like 38 Chandra emblems or something and die on all of our turns. It's amazing.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I like to play things very close to the chest and, um... Really, in all honesty, a lot of these cards, I personally think, get overlooked. Now, this is indeed a very specific situation, um, but I am surprisingly able to, if not, at least get a Chambra Emblem to go off once, maybe twice. I think my favorite time I did was on the, I believe it was the Channel Fireball Command Fest 2, I was able to ultimate the the Chandra from um, Dominaria, the Dominaria Planeswalker precon, precon and uh, have 50 damage just on the table to deal as I chose, and wiped out two <laughs> players at once. Um, now, that was with <laughs> a lot of, you know, luck and pixie dust on my part. Um, but I think it comes to the fact that a lot of these spells are, when you see them on the battlefield, these pieces do not seem threatening at first. So, um pyromancer goggles when it's on the battlefield, a lot of people just see it as a mana rock. Um, and not really much, you know, that you could do it, it's an expensive mana rock, big deal. But when you have a spell in your hand that copies the an instant or a sorcery, or uh does uh copies a planeswalker um, ability twice.
1: <laughs> like that repeated reverberation
3: exactly a lot of people will just read half the card and go okay it's an instant and sorcery copy whatever but then you just go one line down lower and you see oh my gosh it does way more so that's just just does some phenomenal disgusting stuff um and then copying it even more times really ends the game in a beautiful and just like final way imagine like taking I say okay take um six damage you know from my emblem and then I'm like just kidding it's 18 that's half your life total if if even if we're at 40 that's half your life total right there essentially that's so pretty and what's so important?
1: Yeah, what's so important there too is that that can really punish the players who do focus too much on endurance. If I am planning for there to be a long game that I'll outvalue you forever and then you give me a bunch of Chandra emblems, I will not live for the length of turns that I was expecting. Mm-hmm. And because like the longer that I would stay alive, the more time I might've had to find an answer against what you were up to. And that is a game plan that I you know built my deck towards. You can totally take advantage of that by playing those things so carefully. And Mm -hmm. you named an amazing point in there, too, about sandbagging, about making sure that you play close to the chest, as I think you phrased it, Mm -hmm. where you are, you know that you're building towards that particular turn and you are not deploying all of your cards at once. You are choosing very carefully when it is that you will deploy them so that you can pull off that big majestic turn.
3: Mm -hmm. And looking forward, um, there's a lot of other cards and other colors that you can definitely have explosive turns with. For example, some of my favorites are the finales. All of the finales have really big explosives. Explosive ones. My favorite being Finale of Devastation. It's a really good green spell that can give your creatures um, plus X plus X and trample, and you get a creature that's just really just beautiful um, from that. And I think like spells like that are very fantastic too. Um, having like all like the finales are really good examples. Um, Oh, gosh, I'm trying to think of other really good, like, explosive spells. Another good one, Torment of Hellfire. Very explosive, a game ender. If you play your cards very close to your chest and you build up your turn in the right way, you're going to have a very explosive turn just from one single spell. Whereas in my Chandra deck, it's a couple spells, but you can still have explosive plays with just one spell.
0: Right. Uh, one thing I think it's important for these kind of big turn spells and in big turn setups is I think you want the cards that enable this to be things that aren't just dead until you're taking that big turn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you cast a high tide, when you only have four islands out, if you're not taking the big turn, that's still okay. You're still going to get you know, dark ritual mana and still gonna allow you to maybe cast three spells when you can only cast one or something, and maybe that will push you ahead enough to get to that big turn later on when you can either recur that high tide or just use something else for the big turn. So I think it's 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 important to not have it just be the kind of card that's only good when you're at that, you know, turn nine and have already ramped up and and got in that position and it's dead unless you see it prior to that so at least particularly for me that's what's important is the card has to be flexible enough to work in the big turn but also not be bad at previous points in the game
2: i mean i think that's probably why dramatic reversal is such a like commonly played combo card because like yes it's it's you can play the isochron scepter combo that's fine but also like it's not bad just like pay one in a blue to untap all your creatures and have surprise blockers either like that's that's not a bad fallback plan
0: yeah that's a that's a really perfect example there's another one I use for challenge of stats a long time ago in the show which is glimpse of nature which is one green uh, for a sorcery and whenever you cast a creature spell you draw a card it's a amazing card when you're taking that that big turn and you're looking to you know cast seven creatures that turn and you want to draw seven cards and keep casting creatures and doing whatever but for a single green mana, if you cast, you know, two elves and draw two cards, that's a really good rate of return. Um, yes, it's an expensive card, like, dollar-wise, but it, it's good at multiple points in the game as well. So it's another good example of one that's really, really flexible. It's great in the big turn, and it's great on turn four when you plan on casting two creatures.
3: Another point to add on to that uh, Blasphemous Act um, yeah, it's a really good spell that you know the cost reduction is a really good like it's a big deal. Um, very rarely do you ever have to pay more than one, but it, at times it's it's still worth it if you have to pay three or four or even five for it.
2: Yeah, it's it's not a f- bad fallback plan to play four mana for just a wrath.
3: Yeah, <laughs> it just
2: happens to be in a <laughs> it's almost like that's the traditional that, rate for that's, that's, that's right. the going rate these days. <laughs> right. Well, one thing that I would point out just as like something to evaluate when you want to have those explosive turns is how much time do you actually have left in the game? Like how pressing is it that you have your big explosive turn or can you wait it? Like is an opponent getting ready to kill you or not? Or are you running out of resources and like you have to make your your stand at Helm's Deep in order to win the game? Or can you like delay it a little bit? Can you evaluate the when just as much as the what you're doing? Because sometimes I see people trying to Maybe combo off or have this big explosive attack, Mm -hmm. but they're not going to win the game. They do it too early, perhaps, or they wait too long. Even they see an opening, but they don't take it. So that's one thing that I think players maybe overlook is not just what they're doing on their explosive turns, but playing out and and evaluating when you want to have that explosive turn more than anything.
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, especially just finding an opening, making sure that the blue player is actually tapped Mm -hmm. out, for example, can be a really big deal in detailing whether or not you'll be able to get away with that thing. Because the one big turn does mean that you're putting you know, your neck on the line or Mm -hmm. putting yourself out there or whatever, and so you want to make sure that there's a good deal of security for it too. So that's another component for timing it. Another thing for me, I guess, also is that like the surprise factor can help out a lot here. Chase, one of the ways that you manage to always be so crazy with the big, fiery things that you're always up to is that Mm -hmm. Like we just don't see it coming because it's not a way that we're traditionally used to interfacing with the game or we don't necessarily expect that compared to, you know, someone who plays a commander that's like famous for comboing off. Mm -hmm. That's going to be, you know, will be more on our guard about that. I think I've specifically actually told Krim, the Asian Avenger on stream before that uh, I'm afraid of letting him have creatures in play specifically because I know he's famous for playing commanders that do exactly that. (laughs) Whereas like I I honestly didn't give your Chandra Tribal the deck. I was just like, oh, it's just a Chandra. I'm sure it's just a Chantra fire Kaladesh. Yeah. I'm sure I have nothing to fear. And then in the same turn, you flipped her over and ultimated her four times or something like that. And I like it's and the unexpectedness of that was just absolutely beautiful. So surprise is another great factor in timing that too.
3: Exactly. And I think we should also take into account that you know with the uh, consistent influx of new magic product, we are seeing new commanders that people are not used to and are discounting. Really good example: Rokrak and Kedis. I was playing a Rokrak and Kedis game on uh, my stream twitch.tv uh, forward slash manikers <laughs> and good <laughs> uh, nice. good 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 Matt impression there um, and I did not know how uh, Rograkh and Kedis interacted with fiery emancipation and I ended up killing two people in the game <laughs> and I didn't even know it <laughs> and so, chat was so like I Chase, think she has lethal here's
2: yeah. how they interact they do
3: the, yeah, <laughs> I didn't think that it would see it as a different source. I don't know. Um, oh, yeah. I was offered to take it back. I did not because I like to <laughs> win. <laughs>
1: No, that that was so good because, you know, you deal damage with one of the commanders and that was tripled because of the fire emancipation. And then Kedis is like, well, then I saw that damage. I'll deal that damage to the other players. And then that got also tripled. Mm -hmm. So you did like the the double tripling. And Dana, this is even more reason that you should be playing more fire emancipation. And it's real, real good. It's real, real good.
0: Oh, yes, it is. It has found its way into a deck or two.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. All right. So now to wrap up the show, just like talking about the the value of those different things, we've gone through a couple of examples, but I just kind of want to end by talking about some of our favorite personal explosive plays that we know that we orchestrate with our decks to give more examples of what this type of thing looks like in gameplay. So this is our place to talk about our favorite crazy turns. This is some powerful magic to borrow a segment uh, from the North 100 podcast. Let's uh, let's just talk about some of our our favorite crazy plays.
2: Well, I'll start since it happened recently, I I guess. Yes, but the first game that I won of Commander in 2021, um, I cast a Crater Hoof Behemoth and a Chroma's Will in the same turn. I don't know (laughs) how, um, but said I was playing with uh, the one more mana folks, and uh, they happened to be giving me extra mana because they're playing the uh, the new mana burn Junt Commander, and so I had extra mana, and I just happened to use it both, and... I crater-hoofed the table, to say the least. So just having so much <laughs> mana available, um, I spent a lot of it, and then I dealt a lot of damage.
1: Talk about an explosion. Get hoofed.
2: Yes. I I, it, I can firmly say that
0: those two cards are very good together.
3: Make that into yeah, a T-shirt. I, 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 Make that I, into a T-shirt. Get hoofed.
0: Right. Get hoofed.
3: <laughs> Get hoofed.
0: I mean, I definitely have a couple of decks that do this. My recce deck very much is the kind of deck where... It comes to my turn and it looks like it's very innocuous, and twenty-six <laughs> creatures then come into play over the course of the next five minutes as I figure it out, and everyone just dies. I've
2: never I've never seen a deck that does not care about Cyclonic Rift more than your Rekki deck.
1: <laughs> you're, you're, yeah. It's it's some impressive stuff. Because you know, oh, you'll you cast a legendary card and you'll draw a card. I'm sure that he'll draw a couple of cards over the course of the game. No, it turns out he's going to cast like eight. Thousand of them
0: on turn five. <laughs> like, it does some absolutely bonkers stuff, that deck. It it does. It's much more effective than I thought it would be. And my, my Kraman Kedis deck now, that was my Adelaide's deck originally, and I've now converted to the Kraman Kedis, it was fairly explosive as Adelaide's, and it's that much more explosive now, having access to, to Kedis in the command zone. I can just dome somebody for, you know, 26 and everyone else then takes 26 as well. Right. That's, so, a, that's
1: a really great example of the type of commander where you are waiting for your opening and yes. you are specifically holding on to a ton of combat tricks in your hand over the course of many, many turns to wait for that one turn where you can totally go off with it.
0: Yeah, I, I am not worried about my life total at all. As long as I have, you know, three life left when the time comes to take the turn, good enough.
3: Uh, examples of decks that I like to do explosive stuff with past my Chandra deck and, and past my Rock and Kedis is I really like to go infinite in a lot of different ways uh, in my uh, Emery deck I like to do the Chakram Retriever or the Mirren Spy with a Lotus Petal and either an Aetherflux Reservoir or an Altar of the Brood and either infinitely deal damage to people, well not infinitely, but get enough you know, life to deal damage to people, uh, or infinitely mill everybody, which I think is quite fun uh, uh, in my Locust God deck, I really like to uh, do crazy things with uh, shared animosity and a bunch of locusts. All you need is just a little handful, maybe 10, <laughs> 10, <laughs> and you, you got a lot going on there. Um, and in my MEL deck recently, um, having uh, you know infinite ways to uh, flicker a Crater Hoof Behemoth, uh, so you would... For instance, you know, have your infinite way to flicker, so either through M.E.L., Hearthstone, and Workhorse, so you can generate infinite mana that way, uh, or you can just, like, infinite flicker uh, Avenger of Zendikar to just get a bunch of tokens, and then play Creator Hoof Behemoth, and then flicker it a bunch of times uh, with those tokens from Rude Monitor, and uh, you got yourself... um. Some big beefy boys coming at you. <laughs> I really like to do obscene stuff.
1: Matt, it sounds like she's trying to out Selesnia you. She out Dana Dana earlier. Now she's trying to out Matt Matt. Mm-hmm. I
2: mean, Chase did almost draw her entire library on accident. So I I was very proud as a fellow Selesnia mage.
3: <laughs> I'm just built different. I don't know what I can say about it. I, oh, I appreciate man.
2: the way you're built if that's the case. <laughs>
1: Oh my goodness. Uh, A a big thing for me, sort of going back to the risk of these explosions, is like that you really do have to be willing to take the chance on them. So I've got two decks uh, of my own that I would count as examples in this category here. I built the mono-red really weird card, Martin Stromgold, as my mono-red deck. That's the commander that when it attacks with a bunch of other creatures, those other creatures get buffed for each of those other creatures. So, you know, if I attack with him and 10 goblins, each of those goblins gets plus 10, plus 10. That's a really awesome strategy because That's so much damage if I can pull that off. But here's an important point about that deck. I never plan to attack with Martin more than one time. If I am attacking with Martin more than once, like that feels like a weird game that I didn't plan for. I'm really just (laughs) building towards that one attack. And that's an important point to know about how to time and how to uh, actually pilot that deck successfully. Because if I was planning on, you know, using him as a value engine, that's just not going to work. He's not going to provide that type of thing. His capabilities are really much better suited to the big explosive turn. But one more point that really sticks out to me too is my Titania deck, she's the mono green commander that makes a bunch of elementals when I lose my lands. Being willing to sacrifice 10 of my lands with a random Zurin orb effect, for example, so that I can draw cards with an elemental bond as my elemental tokens come into play, that is a risk that I really do have to be willing to take to try and locate a card like Splendid Reclamation to get them back, because if I'm able to do the math right and get that there, sacrificing all of my lands, I can recover from it. But even Even if I can't find one of those things, that's a thing I have to time really well, lose literally all of my mana to get a lethal board state against my opponents. There's a big risk involved there. But when when you get to pull it off, it is a absolute thing of beauty. But you do have to be willing to to make those sacrifices for sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, weighing the all in type of scenarios like with Titania, it's something that you have to make sure, like, is the risk to pull off this massive play going to be worth it if I get blown out? Like. Similar plays that I have uh, with in my Omnath Locus of Rage deck that I mentioned earlier with Perilous Forays, there's a way to get all the basics or, or lands with basic land types out of my library, and it's going to have the potential to be a, a game-ending turn. But if I get blown out, then it really hinders me for the long term. So yeah, finding out the, the when and the where and, and just assessing what risks and what could go wrong is definitely a skill that I, I think every player could practice just a little bit.
3: Or you can do what I do and develop a chaotic mindset Make your big move, fizzle out, and then watch as chaos unfolds and everyone dies to your sick <laughs> gameplay.
1: <laughs> well, let's just say sometimes if you're not willing to take that risk, that's not a game you are going to win anyway. You <laughs> have to be willing to take it. All right, well, those were our thoughts about, you know, endurance cards versus explosive crazy cards in Commander. But listeners, we would also really love to hear from you about your thoughts on how to navigate the explosive turns in EDH. What are your favorite explosive cards in Commander? How do you balance the endurance? based cards against the explosive cards with those crazy potentials and most importantly why wasn't chase on our highest and lowest mana curves episodes how did we drop that ball so badly jace i'm so sorry and i'm glad that we could have you on here to try and make up for it
3: no problem it's because you're jealous of me (laughs) no it's okay (laughs) thank you for having me i really appreciate it
1: It's been an absolute treat. So real quick, as we call this episode to a close, let folks know where they can find you and all the awesome content that you're producing out there in Magic World.
3: So you can find me everywhere at Mana Curves. I stream commander content on my Twitch channel, which is Mana Curves. I stream deck building on Tuesdays and I stream paper commander content Wednesdays and Sundays at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I actually write articles for TCG Player about that deck building stream. You can find that on TCG Player as well. Not to toot my own horn, but I'm kind of cool and kind of great. So you should definitely check out those articles and my gameplay as well <laughs>
1: uh, it r- really is like we- we'll-, we'll toot the horn you make amazing content chase it's really really wonderful and uh fellas if uh, listeners want to get in touch with us where is it that they can find you
2: matt so you can find me on the twitters at mathemus 55 that's m-a-t-h-i-m-u-s U S five five. and don't forget wednesday evenings is when we stream at twitch.tv slash edh retcast usually chase is there though so you're probably gonna catch everybody at the same time probably no matter what.
0: <laughs> and Dana. You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. You can hear me once a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And you can find all of us at patreon.com slash
1: And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M Schultz on Twitter. And you can find the cast at EDHRECcast on both Facebook and on Twitter. Plus, if you have a question, you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to the whole team at the Command Zone podcast for handling the post-production work on our podcast. And our thanks go to our sponsors that's tcgplayer and cardkingdom.com you can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or you can visit cardkingdom.com slash EDHREC and that shows your support for the show listeners we will be back at you next week with more data and insights but until then remember EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck